bringing out of what a patient, patient has brought, and anything else also that comes prophetically. So let's find our seats, and we'll do that. Um, I seem to have lost my Bible. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so um, we um, so I know there's one or two of you that weren't here yesterday, and we're just to give you a quick update, we're looking at um, the whole theme of dominoes, in the sense that when, with the domino you have uh, something on either side, and um, very often with the Christian life you have these things either side that very often you wouldn't put together. And only by revelation, by the Holy Spirit, can you understand, or maybe not even understand, but grasp in a, in a kind of a, uh, in a spiritual sense, by the Spirit, how those two things can, can hold together in God, can hold together in the Christian life, and walk it, um, even if you, don't, you can't dot every I and cross every T and you know, explain it down to the final thing, because it's mysterious. But nevertheless, there are these things that, that coexist as a Christian. And we looked at particular things that coexist in God um, yesterday. We looked, at, we looked at, first of all, the blank domino, that there's one domino with one thing on the side and nothing on the other side. That's his holiness. And there's nothing to say to even it out. There's no, there's no kind of thing to, well, you've got to hold it with that. He's just holy. And then we looked at two dominoes, one his, his love and his hatred, and the second one, his kindness and his severity. And I know that uh, for some it was kind of new stuff to hear, and you're probably still digesting it. 
probably the stuff I say today will probably be a little bit more, you're used to it a bit more. Mine may not be such a um, uh, new thoughts, but nevertheless, I'm going to be looking at do particular dominoes that we have. Things about being a person, being a Christian, that mean, oh, it's a bit like this, but it's also a bit like this, and how you walk that. And the whole idea with the, me the two messages is, is that it gets us onto maturity. Uh, and because wh what happens very often in the Christian life is that people will take one side, maybe the side that is either more naturally, a natural fit for them, their temperament, their way, their upbringing, their experience, and will gloss over the other side. And then a caricature develops and growth, proper growth, full growth is stunted. And you can be perhaps like a little bit one of those things where, you know, sometimes you see a tree and like the proper trunk of the thing has been kind of cut, but this kind of rogue branch has come out near the top and it's kind of growing really tall and you've got this growth, but it's just weird. And it's not the full, central, proper growth which will bring big fruit and we want that kind of growth. So that's hence why we're trying to just tackle areas where we could fall into caricatures, strange ideas, um, particularly because of the age we live in and the culture we find ourselves in. So is that cool? Yeah, great. All right, let's just pray and then we'll, 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 we'll dive straight in. Lord, thank you for what you did yesterday. Lord, uh, that which went on that was obvious and that which wasn't, that which people are still working through. And we commit that to the work of your spirit. And I say, Lord, if any, if any don't see it as I do, I pray, Lord, you would make it clear. You, you are the one who reveals, Lord, and we pray that you would reveal. And, uh, and if I got things wrong, then I just pray, keep revealing, Lord. We want to be under uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And all that he does, illuminating, helping us to grasp things in the spirit, even mysterious things. So, Lord, we just pray for continued help today. Bless us, please, Lord, because we really want to be fruitful. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, so the particular areas of the Christian life that you have to hold together. The first one we're going to look at is, um, the next slide, please, Catherine, is the, what I'm going to call the friendship and the fear. Um, which, as you can see, is a great slide. And I'm um, really happy with that. Um, the computer's crashed. Okay. Oh, I've got some great domino images on this one today. Okay, not to worry. Um, say again? No, no, it's fine. You carry on, it's fine. All it says is friendship and the fear. I said it anyway. But, uh, you know, there's a scripture we're going to start with uh, in Psalm 25, um, which is a very amazing scripture. Um, verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. How about that? The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Um, some translations say the secret counsel of the Lord. Some say the secret of the Lord. The ESV translates this particular Hebrew word, the friendship. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Now, we naturally tend to tend to kind of have friendship there and fear there. Because fear, oh, that's the guy I, I don't want to talk to. Why? They're just scary. So, oh, I can see him coming, I'll put that into the toilet, you know, or whatever, because it's like, I don't know what to say, and they make me feel scared, you know. Um, so that kind of thing. Or then you've got your friends, your mates, and it's like, hey, and there's no fear, and, you know, you can just kind of bundle each other or, you know, do whatever girls do, giggle. You know, you can kind of, you can kind of do that stuff. There's no fear, right? It's just, it's just friendship. Whereas somehow in our relationship with God, there's this friendship and the fear. And you can't have a friendship with God without the fear. But you can't have the proper fear of God without the friendship. 
And it's working out, how does that work? And so maybe we'll try and unpack it a bit. I want to ask you, are you terrified of him? Are you terrified of the Lord? Because if you're terrified of him, you'll be terrified of nothing else. It will liberate you into such freedom. If there is something in you that is genuinely terrified of him, uh, is he your dread? If he is your dread, no one else will be. I remember we walk our kids through this at the moment. Some of our children are more prone to shyness than others, which surprise, might surprise you that I actually am as well. Very prone to shyness. And, um, and we're having to just coach them through it. And so the road we're going down is he's trying to help them understand the glory of God. Because if you get the glory of God and you're able to stand in his presence, then what's a, what's a person? Well, it's just a person, you know. And so it's, that's, the, that's the route to, to kill that kind of fear that goes on there. Trembling opens the door to intimacy. That's what that psalm means. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. God says, I dwell in a high and lofty place, but this is, these are the ones I will dwell with, those who are broken and contrite and who tremble at my word. See, what it does, that genuine sense of awe and wonder, and he is incredible and he's not to be messed with, and he is so high and beyond anything I could ever imagine, and it causes you to just be there in this awe. It draws his presence close. Because you've got him. You've not created something manageable, which is an idol. Yeah, you've actually got, I oh know this is him. This is what, he is incredible. He actually commands his people in Isaiah 8. To, he says, I want to be your dread. Why? Because they are gripped with paranoia. They're saying that these people are conspiring against us. The Assyrians are coming and they're gripped with this thing. We're under attack and God's word to them is, I want to be your dread. Why? Because he knows that through that, they will no longer live under this crazy sense of we're going to get attacked. It's all going to go wrong. These people don't like me. These ones are against us. It will lift them out of that. Now we have to understand, oh, there's something much more, much more terrifying. It's a liberating thing. And yet, getting your head around it is quite unusual. To choose the fear of the Lord means you must reject other fears. Jesus says in Matthew 10, don't fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. How about that? He's not talking about the devil there. The devil doesn't destroy anyone in hell. He gets destroyed in hell. The one who destroys soul and body in hell is the Lord. Fear him. Why? It will liberate you. You'll be a friend of God. You'll know his presence with you. And suddenly these things that seem so terrifying will suddenly seem not quite so terrifying. That's what Jesus said. You've got a choice to make. You can't, Jesus doesn't just say, stop, don't fear people, don't be silly, and leave it at that. Or buck your ideas up. Or straighten your head out. He says, fear God. Fear God. To choose the friendship of God means rejecting other friendships. It really does. Listen to James 4 verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That means hostility with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Ouch. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So to cozy up to the world, the world's way of doing things. So things like... Um, 1 John 2 describes the ways of the world, 1 John 2.15 talks about the lust of the eyes. So to get in on that thing where you just kind of value things, you value people because of how they look. You esteem people more because of how they look. You're just, you're just drawn after this, that and the other 
and you're kind of governed by just outward appearances. It's just something, it's just the way you are. If you cozy up to that, you buy into that. You make yourself an enemy of God. God's not going to just kind of jump in and say, yeah, let's do it. He won't. Because it's, it's a deceptive thing. Charm is fleeting. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she'll be praised. And many other scriptures like that. It's not just about women in the Bible. God says, look beyond that. The other thing, 1 John 2 talks about the lust of the flesh. Just those kind of, just those desires, those longings of the flesh. We'll look at those later in another domino. But if you, if you just yield and succumb to that, it's just what the, that's how the world runs. Just this lust, this longing that's just going to make you feel better about yourself and indulge in this and indulge in If, you, if that is the way you're living, you're making sense. God isn't into that. God's into life and all its fullness. God's into glory. God's into the heavenly stuff. Or, or, or the boastful pride of life. So boasting in what you've achieved and accomplished and status, position. If those things rock your world, you, something's got to change. If you find safety and refuge in the fact that you're recognised in a certain way or you know, you've accomplished this or that, look, with all respect, it's just a worldly attitude. God does not relate to us like that. He doesn't think like that. He looks way beyond that. He knows that stuff is so fleeting, so temporary. He knows that to build on that is building on the sand. So the friendship and the fears is a massive, massive deal. Do not love the things in the world. John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride in possessions, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Stuff's temporary. Use it, but don't let it get your heart. It just doesn't last. The The Christian life is a delicate mix of fearing the wrath of God aroused by sin and yet being very intentional about being a friend of sinners. Okay, how does that work? The friendship and the fear. You see, there should be this, there should be this, listen to Jude 1. You, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Friend of sinners, snatch them out of the fire. To others, show mercy, but with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. See, we claim to follow the one who was derided for being a friend of sinners. And so it's vital that we say, no, I'm a friend of sinners, that we really go for that. It won't do to separate from people who don't know the Lord in the name of holiness. Okay? That's not what we're talking about here. It's, we're talking about the friendship and the fear, but it brings us on to the second domino, which is in the world, but not of it. Very famous Christian phrase, great phrase. What does it actually mean? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed. To this world. That means don't be squeezed into its shape. There's a shape. Paul says, don't be squeezed into that shape. Instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, as ever, you see, the problem begins when you focus on one. But uh, I'm in the world. So some Christians, this is where they emphasize, I'm in the world. I want to be a friend of sinners. I am in the world. And that's the entire focus. Or others say, I am not of the world. And that's their entire focus. And if you just focus on that one or that one, what grows is really strange. So we need to be able to be mature about it 
and say we're going to give equal attention, vigorous, zealous attention to both. Not this kind of passive, well, yeah, I'm that and that, but I'm going to go for both. Yeah? I am in the world. I care about the world I'm in. I care about my neighbours. I care what happens in my community. I care. I'm in it. I'm not pretending to be in it. I'm in it. It affects me. I want to affect it. Because I'm in it. And I'm in it to win it. Yeah, that's why I'm here. I'm here for, I'm not just getting, just waiting and, you know, just ride it out and hope nothing bad happens. No, I'm in it. As a church, we know we're saying we're in it. Let's get cap going. Let's get the food bank going. Why? We're in it. We want to make it better. We want it with, with the light of the world, with the salt of the earth. We are in it. We want to win people to Christ. We want to tell them about Jesus. We want to love our neighbours. We want to share off that aroma of Christ in the workplace because we are in it. And if your kind of Christianity is the kind that sits around and waits for Jesus to return, you're not going to do so well here. You're going to struggle. Why? Because we long for Christ's return, but we don't sit around. We run. We hasten the day. How? By obeying the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Get in it. Get into it. Roll your sleeves up. Get dirty. Get smelly in it. Get in it. Feel the pain of it. Engage. Engage in the messed up lives. Go into the houses that actually you balk when you step over the threshold because of the smell. Get in it. And see what you can do in the world. In the world. I am not of the world. Yeah? Not of it. I do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. I do not sit in the seat of scoffers. No, I'm not of this world. I'm in it, but I am not of it. Being in it doesn't mean I'm just going to kind of be around and, you know, kind of just kind of just be nice or just not do certain things. No, I am going to give off a completely different flavour. I mean, it's going to be like, what? what's that? And some will go, no thanks. And some will go, that's life. I'm going to love and love and love with a different kind of love. I'm not going to serve the same masters as those that I love and live with. I'm not going to serve money. I'm not going to serve sex. I'm not going to serve power. I'm going to serve Jesus. And I'm going to let everyone know that I'm serving Jesus. And I'm not going to just go quiet when it gets a bit awkward. I will graciously speak up. Tenderly, respectfully, reverently say something. Why? Because I'm not of it. And I'm not trying to convince people that I am, but just a bit nicer. No, I'm not of it. And my mission in life is not to not rock the boat. It's not what I've been commissioned to do. Jesus said, go into all the world and don't rock the boat. He didn't say that. Go and do something. Go and make some disciples. I'm not going to host the same ambitions in my heart as the world do. I'm not going to host the same anxieties in my heart as the world. No, I'm going to walk free from that. I'm going to live in that joy Hazel was talking about. I'm not going to just spend my whole life trying to please people. I'm going to spend my whole life trying to love them. Galatians 1 verse 10, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. But I really want to be a blessing. Make it sound so easy, don't I? 
<laughs> yeah. Now, let's do it. Okay. Why isn't it that easy? Domino number three. The spirit and the flesh. <laughs> Galatians 5, 17. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This is all out war, brothers and sisters. How does it work? Within each of us, Christians, talking to Christians now, if you're not a Christian, and just bear with me for the moment, but if you're here, you're a believer, and most of you are. You are an incredible mix. You've been created brand new in Christ. You've got a brand new heart, which means that at the seat of your affections now, the central, truest, deepest you is to love the Lord. Okay, your heart of stone has been taken out, heart of flesh. That is who you are now. Your mind is in the process of being renewed out of the old into the new. That's a lifelong experience. Until Christ returns or you die, you live in a body that still has and always will have indwelling sin. That's the Christian. Hence the warfare. Hence the battle. You need to understand how this works, who you are, what you are. We all live with opposing desires within us. Lusts, longings. When it comes to the things of God, Jesus got it right. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Your flesh does not want to pray. It never will. It doesn't want to read the Bible. <laughs> it doesn't want to witness. It doesn't want to be patient. It doesn't want to forgive. It never will. Don't try to seek God for some amazing experience after which there is no longer any of those desires of the flesh. It's not going to happen. 1 John 1 verse 8, if any of you say you're without sin, you're a liar. The truth's not in you. You will have indwelling sin until the time Christ returns. You've got to know that so that you are armed for the battle. But it's not just that the flesh is weak about the things of God. It's not just that. I mean, if it was just that, it wouldn't be so bad. Because you could, you know, but it has these other things that it's really interested in. Really interested in. The flesh loves a bit of recognition. Love a bit of that. Not been noticed for a while. Start to feel a bit uneasy. Loves a bit of control. Hmm, this isn't working out how I would like or how I planned. Hmm. I'm going to just manipulate a few things. Position, power, autonomy. Sexual longing for all kinds of crazy stuff. Basically, you know, everything that God says, uh -uh, yes, please, says the flesh. I really am into that. Corrupt, utterly corrupt. Pulses deeply in our being. Often actually quite subterranean at times until a little situation comes up or someone says, or, you know, it's, you, know you can be feeling all right and then someone turns on your toe on a tube, uh, you know, and the, the spiral begins. You're going to say sorry. I don't like their clothes. I mean, look at the way they're dressed anyway. You know, and on it goes. <laughs> You're off. Yeah? Flesh. That's the, that's the flesh. What are we to do? Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh Amen. with its passions and desires. And it ain't something you do once. Jesus got it right when he said, 
Every day you pick up this thing called the cross <laughs> and you crucify the flesh. That's the Christian walk. That's it. I just want to be straight with you, be honest with you. We all battle with the flesh and God says, crucify it. Crucifying things is pretty violent, it's pretty decisive. Yeah? Crucifixion is quite decisive. Bang! Get on now. And any squealing, because the flesh will go, let me down. I'll be your friend. <laughs> Bang another one in. Yeah? It's a squealer, the flesh. Who doesn't like that? Who likes crucifixion, for goodness sake? But there needs to be some violence in the Christian life. There needs to be some violence in the Christian life. Your flesh doesn't ever get any better as you mature. It doesn't get any better. You just, maturity is about learning how to deal with it more decisively. It's not about it getting better. It's not, oh, let's stop now. No, it's now, now I am, by the Spirit, ruling. Yeah? By the Spirit, I'm ruling it. I'm not being ruled by it. So it's still there, and it will be until the day of glory, but I'm on it. And one little squeal, bang. That's maturity. That's Christian maturity. Daily. That's why the Bible talks so much about being sober, alert, alert, vigilant, watchful. What's that all about? Well, it's about spiritual warfare in the wider realm of sort of Satan and stuff and the world. But it's about the flesh as well. Be watchful. Because it can just, don't, that little thing happens, you know. Oh, you didn't get, oh, I thought I was in for that promotion there. I thought I'd worked harder and, and they got it. And now they're my line manager. What do I do? Kill it. Not the line manager, the flesh. <laughs> yeah? Because yeah? what, what, what's happened there? God has allowed something to happen to see what you're about. Yeah? He wants to see what you're about. Do you trust him? Do you trust his sovereignty? So there is this incredible battle going on. All of us experience it. That's why the Bible says, go on being filled with the Spirit. Yeah? Because you can't beat the flesh just by human effort. It's, Lord, keep filling me. It's like a cycle of, I want to crucify the flesh so I'll be more filled with the Spirit. And Lord, please keep filling me with the Spirit so I can keep crucifying the flesh. So don't try and work out, oh, what order does it happen? It just goes around. All right? So through killing the flesh, you, you in, enjoy and encounter more of the nearness of God and are filled with the Spirit. Through getting in God's presence and being filled with the Spirit, you're more empowered to crucify the flesh. So I say for myself, it's very, very apparent when I'm getting time with the Lord and really being in a good flow with that because those things that come up throughout life that would often be a temptation, um, I just seem to be a lot more manageable. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I just find, I find particularly like, like, uh, like lustful images is a, is a really good example. I find that when I'm just on song with the Lord and just putting those pretty undramatic things in place, pretty undramatic, you know, I don't get taken to the third heaven every time I have a quiet time. In fact, I've never been there. Okay? What I, but I, I, I read the word and just have a prayer and tell the Lord that I, I love him and, you know, just try and be led by the Spirit in my prayers. And incredibly, what I find through that quite undramatic thing is that I am much less easily taken in by those things that would pop up, a, a billboard or just seeing a particularly provocatively dressed person or whatever. It doesn't have the sting that it quickly develops if I'm neglecting that. 
And that's being filled with the Spirit. And I think sometimes, especially as charismatics, we want the moment. You know, we want the big, the big hurrah, the big, yeah, angels came and everything. And I think you've just got to be able to say, if that comes, great. But look, it's quite undramatic, really. It, it's quite undramatic. It's d- daily discipline, you know. Daily discipline of just ex- doing the exercises, doing the stuff. And um, I can't say that to you enough, but it's funny, isn't it? Every time someone says it, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's like, because oh, it's easy to neglect and easy to just to, to lose. There's one more massive key, the last domino, one more massive key that the Lord gives us for victory and for maturity. And it's one and all. Um, In the sense that we are one. I am one person. But I am part of something much bigger. And I want us to just unpack. This is massive. We're going to end on this one. I want to say something to you. You have been created individually, knitted together in your mother's womb. You have been created um, uniquely in that sense, okay? There is only one you, yeah? We're clear on that, aren't we? Yeah? Um, but you're also created as part of a bigger story. And I just, what I'm going to do is, I, I, what I'm going to do next, I'm going to go against the cultural idol and I'm going to just crack it a few times, bang it a few times, because it, re- it so easily raises its head in the church and it's so ungodly and it's individualism. Now, the thing with cultural idols, anything cultural, is culture is a bit like a pair of specs. So when I've got my specs on, I don't see the specs, but everything I see is shaped and affected by the specs. You understand? Culture's like, like that. You don't understand, really, your own culture, because you've always been in it. But it affects the way you see everything. But if you were to go to another culture, you'd be like, man, they do things like that. Wow, why didn't they do that? And what you're seeing is the different culture because it's totally new to you. And so we need to just understand the way we think is so about, particularly about individualism, is so much uh, stronger and more unhelpful than we even begin to realise. And so I want to just hit that a few times. So you've been created individually, yeah, and uniquely, great, but you've been created as part of a bigger story. Okay? It's part of something bigger. It's not just God made you and... You know, and this is music in the background, and there's only one, and it's like a snowflake. And we really, we get into that, don't we? And it's like, well, yeah, it's true. It is, it's not the biblical emphasis. Actually, I want to be honest with you. Revelation, not imagination. The biblical emphasis is this. You're just like everyone else. Made in God's image. Called to know him. Ruined by sin. Invited to be restored and reconciled through Christ. That is, the, that is the biblical emphasis. The unique stuff, what have we got on that? We've got Psalm 139. Okay, so, ouch. I'm hitting some things here, so if you start thinking, I don't like this guy, or I don't agree with him, that's okay. I'm just asking you to work it through. Think it through. Because of what I wouldn't want to do is for you to get something personal against me. I don't really mind, but I wouldn't want that if actually it's not me, it's something I'm saying that's true that actually you need to renew your mind on because that wouldn't help you. So I want you to really think this thing through here. You've been called by name. God calls you by name, right? Yeah? You've been... S- Saved and called, but 
But the thing about names is this. Names is about identity. Names is about knowing people. And I want to say this. No one can know you outside of your relationships. You can't be known. There's no point in me sitting in a room with Richard and having two hours with Richard and talking to him and say, I know that guy. I don't know that guy. I don't know him. I've not seen him with his wife. I don't know him. I've not seen him with his parents. I've not seen him with his friends. I don't know him. I really don't. I might know his interests. I might know some things that have gone on. But I don't know whether when he goes home, he's the guy who walks into the house and brutalises his wife. Or whether he's the tender husband. I don't know. I said, I don't, I need to know that. I can't know him outside of his relationships. He can't be known. Why? Because we are created for relationship. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbour. That's humanity in action. It's relational. Yet we have this thing of every man's an honour, and well, yeah, you, and you're just a snowflake. And no! You're made for relationship. If I stand up here and preach, and then you see me... What happens if I stand up here and preach this strong, godly thing and then in the canteen, you know, you see me uh, speak badly to the vena, I'm harsh with my children. Are you affected by that? Too right you are. Why? Because you're realising, flip, I thought I knew that man. So, so important that we get this. You are a temple. The Bible says you've become a temple. Individually, you've become a temple. The word used in the Greek is individual. You are a temple, but you're also a what? A stone, a living stone in the temple. Why? Because you're called by name individually, but you're called as part of something bigger. And now, because of our culture, we tend to focus all the time on that, on the individual, on the individual. And it's probably the lesser part of the biblical emphasis. And certainly, what we can do is we can stop dignifying the simple means of grace that God has given us, which is this, meeting together. It becomes less and less dignified and less and less prioritised in our hearts. Because it can be pretty undramatic, can't it? And actually, quite repetitive. I'm sure I recognise some of those songs today. I'm sure we've sung them before. <laughs> Have you? No. It's not, protect- it's not like you're doing anything new. God comes on us freshly. Of course he does. But we're doing the same thing. Have you noticed? <laughs> it's not novel, is it? It's not, I wonder what we'll do this week. Well, we're going to praise the Lord and open the word and build each other up. And so, it, 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 you know, you can think to yourself, oh, what does it do? Here's what it does. Hebrews 3. Verse 13. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There it is. Exhort means cheer on. Say to another, come on, keep going, I'm with you. Encourage, train, correct, rebuke. Meaningful relationships. Every day. Why? Well, because if you don't, it seems like you become very vulnerable to being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And much of the pastoral work I do, I'm chatting with people, and I've been thinking to myself, I'm concerned about you, I haven't seen you for a while. 
and they come and say, I'm feeling, just feeling a bit flat and things aren't going so well. And, and they often locate it here or locate it there. And when we get to it, it's like you've just been making some really unwise decisions. You've not been prioritising gathering mm. and being with your brothers and sisters. Mm. And it's, it's London life, hey? I live there too. There are numbers of things we frequently say no to on a Sunday and it's not because I work for the church. It's because I'm a believer. These things I don't go to regularly. I say no to. I say no to for our kids. Can't go there. Can't. Oh, it's really fun. Yeah, you're not going. Why? You're going to church. You're going to gather with the saints. It's up there. It's up there. Why? I don't want to be unhardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10, he hits it again. Must have been a big deal for this church. Verse 24. Let us consider, so give some thought to, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. There it is. It's just neglect, isn't it? It's not something like, I'm not going to go. It's not that. It's just, well, you know, this came up and that came up. and you know. So not neglecting, as is the habit of some. So some believers have decided, you know what, I don't need that but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. had a very interesting chat with someone yesterday, very provoking, very insightful. It's about this whole thing of being in London, everyone's aspirational. Mm-hmm. And we're having a fun conversation and the, the person is a really funny illustration of, you know, someone who's, who's a, you know, <laughs> everyone you talk to, well, I'm doing this, but I'm trying to break into this. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing that, but my dream is that, you know, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's everyone, isn't it? Well, and that, but, you know, and that's like, and it's, but success can become an idol. It can become an idol, and you can neglect the things that God definitely says, do this. Because oh, I'm going for the dream. Are you going for it in a wise way, in a sustainable way, and in a way that will protect you from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Are you? Because by a simple bit of neglect, that can happen. And it's like, you know, it's like you see it on the, on the nature programs and the safari, just that little you know, wildebeest there just strays off from the pack, bang. The lion's going for that one. Which one's dropping behind? Bang, we get it. So you're just vulnerable. You're just plain vulnerable. And as a pastor, I want to say to you, please use your head. Please believe God. Please don't think you know better. Don't think you know you better than he knows you. He knows you. He knows what you need. This is so, so important. Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. That's why our gatherings, though undramatic, should be real and gutsy, and we should get people to pray with us, we should confess our sins, and we, it must be meaningful. If you just come in and go, hi, fine, bye, then I'm not surprised if you think, what was the point of that? Well, it, no point, because you were so darn ridiculous in the way you did it. Go and connect with some people. We need each other. I need you. We need one another. That is what God says. It's so simple. He's in us. Gather on a Sunday, yeah. Pray together on a Tuesday, yeah. Gather in gospel communities. It's not rocket science, is it? It's not like amazing. But God says, I'm going to keep you right through this. I'm going to keep you in really good shape through this. We are not islands. And no matter how much Christian literature you've read, emphasising and telling you how it's just you and, you know, there's no other, you know, God was just, when he made you, he was thinking like, this is the middle of the universe or whatever, they say. 
Bible says this, you are part of the bride of Christ. You are a member of Christ's body. You are a living stone in the dwelling place of God. That is dignified. That is dignity. It absolutely is. Am I the guy who's not into individuals? No, not at all. But I'm really not into individualism. I think it's a curse. I think it robs us of understanding humanity. I think it leads to selfish people, selfish lives, narcissism, people chasing this and chasing that and wondering why I can never quite get it. It's because it's not what the Lord called you to. He called you to do something corporate. Not something corporate where everyone looks the same as a clone thing. The church that Jesus builds, where the colours and the shapes and the aromas are extraordinary, and yet somehow they march in step. That's what he's about. That's what he is after. Revelation, not imagination. Is it sacrificial? Yes. Yeah, it is. Does it cost? Yeah, it does. It does. Is it always easy? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not always easy. Um, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Why not? It's what God's calls us to. It's true life. It's life in all its fullness. It's life in all its fullness. And it's not that you neglect other things. You've got to work out, Lord, I know, you, I know family is important and there's this family thing going on there and you've got to work it through with God. But you, I, I, don't get into the thing where you just get formulaic. You know? Because uh, God, family, church. Is it? Is it? Now I'm really being naughty. What I'm saying is, is just scrutinise it because, you know, God, family, church. All right. Week one. Love you, Lord. Can't get to church because Billy's, Billy's been invited to a party. Family. Billy goes to a party. They go to a party together. Week two. Love you, Lord. Can't get to church. Why? Well, week two. Uh, great Auntie Susan's golden anniversary. Okay, don't bring it. Okay, family. God, family, church. God, family, church. Love you, Lord. Can't get to church. Why not? Because um, cousin Cuthbert is visiting from South Africa. Needs somewhere to stay. Can't take him to church. What would he think of it? Okay. We're number four. You know where this is going. It's just formulaic. You say, God, help me to be wise. Give me wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives it to generously to all men without finding fault. Jesus first. Absolutely. Absolutely. What does Jesus first mean? It means sometimes, well, it means always, love my wife sacrificially, but it means sometimes I have to hate her. Luke 14, 26. Okay. Luke 14, 26. Uh, sorry, Jesus first, family man. Totally, I'm all about the family. Other times, kids on the door going, don't go away and preach again, Dad. This is what you always do. Bye. Sometimes you have to leave your and your daughters with the gospel. Sometimes. Very often, I say no to that preaching request. Yeah? Why? Because it's too many. It wouldn't be right. Do you see what I mean? Wisdom. God, what are you saying? What are you saying? How does it work? But don't just drop into simplistic formulas. That's enough. <laughs>
I'm boring myself now. Right, okay. <laughs> I'm so done honest with you guys, and you know, I hope it's okay. I, I just I do love you and care about you so much, and I want us to really get somewhere good. Um, you know, and if you, you know, I'll just say this, if you do disagree with any of this, and you really want to talk about it, please don't jump into the toilet if you see me coming. I am not that scary, actually. <laughs> and where I have been a bit in the past, I'm getting nicer and nicer. You can ask Davina, okay? So, <laughs> please come and ask me. I'll be tender, I'll be quick to listen and slow to speak, and, um, but would love to just work anything through today that's, that's come up. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's break bread. Because we're one body. We break the one loaf, one body, and all that. Okay, so that's what we're going to do, even though there's five tortillas. Don't worry about that. Okay, so uh, <laughs> one loaf, one body. And you want to respond to what Hazel brought, please come and find him, pray with him, or just find a brother and sister. Let's talk about real stuff and pray with each other and do each other good for this next... We'll probably go for another 20 minutes or something like that. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah okay, let's um, get to our feet and um, get the chairs out of the way and just have a holy melee of letting God do good things. <laughs>